As Steve said, my name is Catherine. It's such a joy to be with you. And I'm so glad you got to watch that video and see all of my wonderful colleagues. Um, it is great to work for the Evangelical Alliance. And I'm just going to tell you a little bit about them and how you can get involved before I launch into my preach, okay? The Evangelical Alliance exists to unite churches. We want to unite evangelicals across the UK so that everyone in the UK has an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus. We speak up for evangelicals on issues that really matter, that really make a difference in our world today. But evangelical is a bit of a weird word, isn't it? I didn't really know what that word meant when I first became a Christian. I was like, I don't know if I'm one of those. I even had a lecturer say to me at drama school when I became a Christian, you haven't become one of those evangelical nutters, have you? And I was like, well, I'm sure I'm a nutter, but the first word, no idea what you're talking about. And he explained to me as an atheist, very angry atheist, an evangelical is someone that likes to share their faith. So I agreed, yes, I am actually an evangelical. So if you are an evangelical here today, it means you believe these four things. Number one, the Bible is the inspired word of God. We seek to change culture with the Bible. We don't want to change the Bible. We're not looking to do that. We want to speak into culture and see it changed through the word of God. Number two, you believe that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the single most important event in history. It has transformed our world and it's changed your life personally as well. You believe in conversion, that the only way to heaven, to salvation, is through Jesus. So what does that mean? You want everyone to hear about him. The most loving thing to do is to tell people about Jesus. And lastly, you believe that as an evangelical, you can make a real difference in the world around you. You are standing arm in arm with evangelicals that have gone before, that have transformed our world. It was evangelicals that brought about our education system, that brought about the abolition of the slave trade. It was evangelicals that brought justice reform. And so you look at the history of evangelicals and you go, and what more do you have for us today, God? Because we want to make a difference and we want to see your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. So what do you have for us to put our hands to? It is evangelicals today that are at the heart of food banks, night shelters and refugee programs. We want to play our part in seeing the world transformed in the name of Jesus. That is what it means to be an evangelical. And your church has been a member of the Evangelical Alliance since 1994, which is amazing. Thank you so much for being with us for so long. You've been members of the Evangelical Alliance longer than I've been alive. And now lots of you are looking at me like, you're really young. <laughs> Do I look as young? No, no, don't answer that question. I've got some stress lines. Um, fantastic. And I today would like to invite you all as individuals, actually, to become members of the Evangelical Alliance. Why? Because over the next 10 years, we would love to grow to 50,000 individual members. 
not because we want to look cool, we want to say we've got loads of people who like us, but because we stand in front of MPs every single week and we go, we are the voice of the evangelical church in the UK. And if we can say that that voice is 50,000 voices strong, they'll listen to us. Actually, if we have 50,000 members, we won't have to knock on the government's door they'll be on the phone to us because we'll be the size of some of the smaller political parties. I think being 50,000 members will communicate to the government that actually the church is alive and ready to roar in the UK, that we have a voice that's worth listening to and we have opinions that we want to share in every layer of society, particularly the places of power, the places that change the shape of our nation. So I'd encourage you today, if you want to say, yep, I'm an evangelical, and yep, I want to make a difference in a really easy way, why not become a member of the Evangelical Alliance? It's super easy to do that. Hannah will be at the back, my friend who's with me, she'll be at the back, and she would love to help you sign up. It's £3 a month, and in return, we would love to give you a few things. We've got this wonderful welcome pack. Here we go. It's a nice little box. You get this book, which is all about cultural storylines and how to speak the God story into it. And very importantly, you get this booklet, which is all about your religious freedoms. It teaches you, actually, you are really free to talk about Jesus at work. It was written by lawyers, people in government, people who know their stuff, basically. Not just someone who's excited like me. They know their stuff. They know how hard it can be to talk about Jesus at work. And they want to remind you of your freedoms, that you have to do that and teach you how to use them. And then what people get really excited about is that you get a trolley coin. Lots of supermarket fans out there. And I'd encourage you, when you have this trolley coin, please Pray for us. Pray for us every time you see it. Pray for us at the Evangelical Alliance as we stand in front of government and we stand up for you, for your church and for evangelicals across the UK. So please do join us today. All right? Fantastic. Okay. About a year ago, I was on a plane. Wonderful. And on this plane, a guy sat next to me and my husband, John. And I don't know whether you've ever been in this situation before, but we sort of breathed a sigh when he sat down next to us. We were like, oh, we were hoping to sort of have the road to ourselves. Now there's a guy sat next to us. Oh. And he sat down and he looks really nervous and he's tapping his foot and he's sort of doing this with his hand and tapping his hand and all of this. And he calls over the air hostess, the stewardess, and he says, can I speak to you? I just want to check that I can wear Bluetooth headphones. Like that's not going to cause the plane to crash, is it? Like if I wear my Bluetooth headphones, she's like, no, you're not actually that powerful. Um, you won't bring down the plane with a headphone. But totally fine and he turns to us and he's overly apologetic and he's just saying oh, I'm so sorry I'm just really nervous I'm super scared of flying I hate being on flights and I just really don't like it and I'm so uncomfortable and he's just saying all of this stuff over and over again and I'm like don't worry dude I used to be scared of flying and I'm not so scared anymore um, and I get it when you're scared it's rough so don't don't feel embarrassed it's all good and he was like he, he had the obvious response which for some reason I wasn't expecting which was oh how did you stop being scared? To which I'm like, oh no, now I'm in this awkward predicament where I have a decision to make. Am I gonna defy all of the British social norms at the very start of the flight where we haven't even taken off yet and then I've got a couple hours sat next to this guy? Or am I going to lie and have a nice comfortable plane ride? And so I made the obvious decision, which was um, to lie. Just kidding, I didn't lie. Now you're all like, oh no, who's this guest speaker? <laughs> um, confess your sins to one another, guys. Um, I didn't lie to him in that moment. What I did say was, 
actually I became a Christian and knowing that God is in control of my life meant that I'm not as scared of flying anymore. And he said, oh, okay. And a normal person would now start small talk, um, but I'm not a normal person. So I just went, you weren't expecting that, were you? And he was like, no, <laughs> I wasn't. So now I'm feeling extremely awkward and I'm imagining that I'm in a cartoon and hoping that there's a button I can press that my seat will get catapulted out of the plane and I can remove myself from the situation. I'm also at the same time praying for Jesus's return so that I can be removed from that situation while also giving myself an evangelistic pep talk of, it's okay, Catherine, it's just an emotion. You're sowing seeds for the kingdom. It doesn't matter what his response was. You never know what that seed might grow into. I'm having all of those thoughts in my mind. I'm sure you've been in that place as well after sharing your faith. Thankfully, John sat next to me and he does start the normal conversation that should have happened. How was your holiday? They're chatting about the holiday. It was great, went for a swim, weather was lovely, normal, normal, normal. Then this guy turns to my husband and says, how was your holiday? And I'm like, ha ha, John, now you're in the same situation I was in. And John goes, well, we weren't actually on holiday. We were at a conference, which makes us look like very important business people. And the guy's very impressed and goes, oh, what type of conference was it? And my husband goes, well, it was a conference for people. Um, it was a conference for people that want to start churches in places that don't have churches but also might want to start churches in places that do have churches but need another church because there's never enough churches in places that have churches and maybe one day we might start a church in a place that doesn't have a church or does have a church that was the conference and the guy's like okay cool then John goes have you ever been to church before and this guy goes no so then we're like, great, that's the end of that conversation. And then he goes, but my girlfriend has. My girlfriend was actually raised in church. And we're like, oh, that's interesting. What sort of stopped her going? And he's like, I don't know, just life, I guess. She just sort of stopped going. But we do have conversations about God. We have quite a lot of conversations about God, actually. And the thing about God is, and I don't want to offend you because I know you're both Christians. And we're like, oh, here we go. The thing about God is, how do you know that it's not all just made up? Like, someone didn't just make the Bible up. How do you know that that is not the case? And I'm like, oh, it's such a shame that we're on a plane. Like, there's no internet. I can't Google that. I thankfully did not say that to him. And I, we started to have a conversation about God and it opened up this door. What he thought would offend us, which, by the way, if you've got questions about God and you're thinking, I can't ask that because it will be offensive, people will think I'm weird, or that's a question that like, I bet no one else has, I can guarantee none of that stuff will happen. People aren't going to be offended. They're not going to think you're weird. And actually, they've probably had those questions themselves. So please do ask them. But we launched into this conversation about 
God, about life, and about Gwyneth Paltrow for some reason. There was a lot of chat about Gwyneth Paltrow, very interesting lady, and, and he was very interested in her, so there we go. Um, so we started having this conversation, and the plane lands, and we find out that this guy actually lives 20 minutes away from us, which is weird because the airport is a long way away from where we live, and he just so happens to live 20 minutes away from us. The one person who sat next to us on the plane were like, hmm, this is starting to smell a little bit like a God coincidence. And so a few weeks later, we exchanged numbers with him on that flight. And a few weeks later, John texts him and just checks in, how's it going, and invites him round for dinner. And we're thinking he's definitely not going to come because we know how these things work. If you've met a stranger on a plane, you're not just then going to rock up to their house. That's an abnormal thing to do. But he said yes to the invitation and he came round for dinner. And not just that, he brought his girlfriend with him, which we were very excited about. And we started asking her questions about her life and about her upbringing. And she shared how, yeah, she had been raised in church and she was very warm about church. And it was the case that she just sort of stopped going. And as I got her to describe what her church was like a bit more, I was like, this is weird. Your church sounds a lot like my church. Sounds like the church you grew up in is a lot like the church we currently go to. That's really interesting. And she's like, yeah, I used to also go to this like youth camp in the summer. I'm like, oh, did you go to Soul Survivor? Thinking that's like the big youth camp. She probably has heard of that one. She's like, no, I've no idea what that is. And I was like, oh, which one did you go to? She's like, I went to a youth camp called New Day. And I was like, oh, okay, that's the youth camp that we take our youth to at my church. That's a New Frontiers thing. You weren't raised in New Frontiers, were you? And she's like, yeah, 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 New Frontiers. That's, the, that's what I was raised in. I was like, okay, right, now we're wanting to get down to specifics because this is getting weird. Um, where were you raised? And she was raised, I don't know whether you guys have heard of this place, but she was raised in a place called Bedford, um, which at the time I was like, yeah, never heard of it. Um, don't know what Bedford is. And I was like, what church in Bedford? And she said, oh, actually, I was raised in King's Arms Church. I was like, oh, all right, okay, cool. Which is your church, if you don't know, if it's your first time here, welcome to the King's Arms Church. It's wonderful to be here today. Um, and as I look back on that story now, I'm like, whoa, what a crazy thing that God would have us sit next to a guy who's agnostic, unchurched, dating a girl who is prayed for, who is raised within your walls. We were just sat there and we were ready to point them home. And there's loads more that I want to say about that story, but I think it's time to pause and open the word of God, don't you? Let's turn to Luke 15. Please, if you have a Bible with you, open it. If not, some of it will come up on the screen, but I'm going to storytell a bit of it as well. Jesus is a master storyteller. He tells the best stories. And in Luke 15, he launches into a series of stories about lost things. We're talking wandering farm animals, lost change. And then we get to this beautiful story about a lost son. And what's different about the lost son to the other lost things is that the sheep didn't really know it was wandering because it's a sheep. And the change was precious but misplaced. Whereas this story is about a lost son who wanders away, who knows that he's lost, who knows that he's walked away from home. And he doesn't just walk away from home. Actually, no, this son, when he leaves, 
He metaphorically spits on his dad, wishing him dead when he says, I want my inheritance now. I want what I would get when you die now. And the father doesn't react in anger in this moment. He gives over the inheritance. And the son walks away, cash in hand, ready to live the best life he dreamed of. This is what I've always wanted. I'm free. I've got all this money and I'm ready to party. I'm ready to go. But quickly he realizes the money's temporary. It fades. And he's left at the lowest of low with less than he had before he started. He gets so low that he looks at a pig and thinks, I wish I had what you have. Which in a Jewish society, we don't quite understand how low that actually is. The Jewish people see pigs as an unclean animal. So for this story to be about someone who gets to such a low that they would look upon an animal that's unclean and go, I want to have what you have. That is a low. And I don't know about you, I imagine you, like me, have had a moment like that in your life where you've got to the lowest of low, where you can't hold it together anymore, you can't pretend, you're at breaking point. There's a raw vulnerability in that moment, isn't there? For me, it was when I was at university and I wasn't raised a Christian. I just had a friend die and I was living a wild life and I was looking at everything around me and I was meant to be living my best days. I was at uni, everyone says, this is the best time of your life. And I was not having the best time of my life. And I got to this moment where I thought, I just can't imagine keep keeping going. I can't imagine living, actually. I feel like I've got a decision to make, but I don't know what that decision is. I feel like I need to take a step somewhere, but I don't know where that step needs to go. And maybe that's you here today. Maybe you are in that moment of breaking point. So let's look at what the son does. When he gets to this point, the lowest of low, what does he do? He starts the walk home. And in verse 17, it says this. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Nervous, he's practicing this speech. He's trying to decide on the words to say that will communicate the weight of what he's done. He, know that he, he knows that he can't accept forgiveness. He can't accept, expect his father to say that he is still a son. But all he wants is to be called a servant, just to be welcomed into the lowest part of the house, where he's hidden away and where he can act as a servant to his father for the rest of his days, just to have something of his father's house again. He's hoping for that. But what happens? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. He didn't even make it to the house. His father had been watching. His father had been waiting. And I imagine the son probably thought when he saw his father running, oh no, what's happening here? A man of his age, of his honor, he's lifting up his tunic so that he can run like that at me. How much rage must be in his heart, but it's, it is deserved. But it wasn't rage that filled the, the father's heart. It wasn't rage that compelled him forwards. It was compassion. 
overwhelmed, what can the son do, but stick to the script. And in verse 21, we see what the son says. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But what does the father do? The father says to his servants, quick, bring a robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and now is alive. He was lost and now is found. His father doesn't even let him finish his apology. He interrupts him with the intimacy of physical touch, a hug and a kiss. He removes his rags and replaces them with a robe. And when he puts a ring on his finger, he's saying, you are my son. You are family. He's not welcomed in as a servant, hidden away, ready to just serve his father. He's welcomed into everything the father has. He is more honored than he's ever been. They throw a party and celebrate his return. And I can imagine the son just thinking, but don't you know what I've done? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know the things I've thought? And, I, and I've wasted all your inheritance. Why would you choose to welcome me in? Why would you choose to celebrate me? It doesn't make sense, does it? And through this story, through this story, Jesus is wanting to teach us what God is like and how he views people, how he views us. And it's a story of a physical journey of a son to his home, but it represents the journey that all of us have to go on. We all have a decision to walk towards God and find our home within his embrace. That is a journey that we all go on. And so many of my friends that have never been to church, they utter things like, I would burst into flames if I walked through the doors of your church. I'm never coming. And what they're really saying is, you don't know me. I've done stuff. I've thought stuff. I'm somebody who God hates, who God wants to burn up. They're like the lost son who sees the father running and thinks it must be rage. He can't possibly be accepted in. They see God as someone who's full of rage and fury and judgment. But if God was like that, could any of us be spared the flames? We all fall short. We all mess up. I say things that I don't mean. I think things that I don't want to think. We all are not perfect and we are in need of that father's embrace. In this story, Jesus teaches us what God is like. The father waiting, watching ready to be compelled forward with compassion for his lost sons and daughters. He's always on the lookout and he's always ready to embrace those who turn to him, no matter who they are or what they've done, no matter whether they think that they are worthy or not, whether they've been sat in church for a decade or whether this is their first ever Sunday, no matter who you are today, God is ready to embrace you in his arms. But for lots of you in this room, you would call yourself a Christian. You are a Christian. You know the embrace of the Father, and it's wonderful. You have a testimony of how Jesus saved you, and you love to tell it. You know that Father's embrace, and the temptation for us as Christians is to find our nice little bit in the home, to pull up an armchair, to sit in it, get the blanket over, pull the popcorn out, and just sit there and watch and wait and hear everyone else's stories. Is that what we're meant to do? I think 
it is clear throughout the Bible that actually we have a role to play in this. Jesus says lots of things about this throughout the New Testament, but in Matthew 28, it is distinctly clear, and I'm just going to read the Great Commission for you. You've probably read this before. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Those are active words. Go and make baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything, um, I, uh, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As Christians, we are just signposts home. We're pointing people in the right direction. So often we can view evangelism as this heavy burden, something we should be doing more of, something we wish we were doing more of, and something we hope we get better at. And it can become this heavy thing. And when you hear a preach like this, you go, oh, I know, I just feel awful. But that's often because we've got our role wrong. We're thinking we need to drag people into the kingdom. We need to try and convince them our very best to come to church and come and try an alpha and all of this. When really... We're just signposts. We're joining in with what God is already doing. The adventure that he has set, we're just saying, I want to play a part of that. And when we approach mission like that, as an overflow of our identity, knowing that we are sons and daughters, deeply loved, cherished, that God invites us in, it starts to get quite fun. You start to see these little God coincidences in your life. You start to have some crazy conversations that you think, what, where's that going to? And it starts to feel a whole lot lighter. And actually, it starts to be like, I think this is what I was made to do. I think this brings me life and joy. And even if I don't see them get saved, actually, I'm just a part of the journey. And it starts to get very exciting. What's distinctive, just to go back to the prodigal son for a moment, what is distinctive about the prodigal son is that when he gets to his lowest of lows, he knows where to go, right? He knows where home is. When he gets to that breaking point, he knows which way to walk. There are thousands of people in the UK, and there are thousands of people in Bedford specifically, that have never heard the good news of Jesus. They're searching for home in all sorts of places, and it's not fulfilling, it's not helping. They have big, big questions, but no one has told them about Jesus. We have an opportunity to step in as Christians and play our part in making sure that everyone in Bedford, everyone in the UK, hears about this good news. It's not an accident that you're at your school, that you're at your university, that you're in your workplace, that you go to the hairdresser you do, that you're sat on a train, or you walk the way you do, or you shop in the shops you shop at. What if God has placed you there for a purpose, and he's given you something to put your hands to while you're there? As you look for those opportunities and actually pray, God, why won't you just give me those opportunities? I know that God will put you in situations where you feel as awkward as I did on that plane, where he's inviting you to share something about him, where you have a decision to make. Am I going to talk about Jesus or, or am I not? And I'd encourage you, jump in with a yes, because it will flood your life with such purpose and joy. As I draw to a close, I just want to share a few more reflections, a little bit more about the, um, the plane story, and then pray for a few types of people. Firstly, back to the plain story. We had them round for dinner. We had a lovely, lovely, lovely time. They went on their merry way. 
we kept texting them, and then they stopped replying. And it was so disappointing. And I'm sure in many, mo in many moments where you've shared your faith, you've had this situation where it's amazing conversation. It feels like a miracle is brewing, and then nothing. The temptation in this moment is to go, oh no, I've done something wrong. This is a me problem. And the enemy loves to get in and start questioning our identity. Yeah, there is something wrong with you actually. And actually you're not very good at sharing faith. And you know that person, yet they're much better because they're more extroverted. They're, they're way better socially than you are. So actually just let them do it. You don't have a part to play. And that's a lie. We're all called to this. No matter who we are, we need all sorts of personalities to play our part in this. And how I view stories like that now is I'm like, you know what? God's in control. He knows the whole story. He's the only one that can save. I'm a signpost home. And so I've played my little part. I've been obedient to that. And that's it. I want to see the end of the story. <laughs> I want to. And you do too. We all want to lead people to Jesus. But some of the time, God doesn't give us the end of the story. We've just got to be faithful with the bit of the story that he does give us. And for that, it was that bit of the story. And we kept praying and we blessed them. And one thing that's really cool, and I think I can share this, is that um, the girlfriend of Freddie, she's called Sammy, her mum was actually in the morning service, which is awesome here this morning. And she shared about how Sammy has taken steps forward in faith. And I was so encouraged by that. So please do keep praying for that family. These stories are alive. And we, you know what, if I hadn't spoken here, I would have never heard that. I would have never been encouraged by that. And so then I have a, a moment in my life where I make a decision. Am I just going to sit in the disappointment and think, well, probably nothing's ever happened and probably there's no other Christians and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Or am I going to trust God with that story and say, okay, God, I'm handing it back over to you. It's yours. You do what you want to do, and I trust you, and I'm going to go again and be faithful again. And I hope I sit next to someone on a plane and have a little moment with them again. Come on, Lord, let's do it again. So in a moment, I'd love to pray for you. If that's you, you've been stopped by disappointments. You've actually given up a little bit. I would love to pray for you. And then secondly, I've thought quite a bit about um, Sammy and her parents, and actually just about parents who are really struggling with kids that have walked away. And I would say, if you are a child of someone here today who's giving church a go again, and I'm going to talk about your parents and how hard that might be for them. That's a potentially awkward situation. I just want to name that. And I want to say it's hard for them because they love you so much. It's not that they're looking on your life thinking, this is awful or I'm judging you or anything like that. It's because they, they love you and they want you to experience what they've experienced in their lives. They're not perfect either. They've got all sorts going on as well. I can tell you that. But I've thought a lot about parents and how hard it is for parents when a child wonders. And again, the temptation for lies to creep in and for the enemy to go, and it's your fault. You're a bad parent. You didn't do a good job. Actually, if you put them in that church or that school, if you'd taken them out of that friendship group, you wouldn't be in this situation. And it's all on you. There's nothing you can do. And basically, you suck. That's the temptation from the enemy there. And I want to just say, if you have any of those statements in your head, those are a lie. They're not from the Lord. That is not what God speaks over your life as a parent. And I feel that God is wanting to say to parents today, 
you are my son. You are my daughter. You are so loved by me. And guess what? God is the main parent of your child. He loves your child more than you do, which I imagine sounds crazy as a parent, but it's true. God loves your child and he's watching and he's waiting, full of compassion, ready to welcome them home. And if God can put me and my husband on a plane next to a guy who's not in church but is with someone who sort of was used to be in church, who's then walked away, whose mum is praying for her, who's got a sibling praying for her, and we can be there. Who knows who God is putting in your child's life? They're not going to tell you those stories. They're not going to ring you up and be like, hey, mum, I met a Christian, because you're going to go, oh, my goodness, that's amazing, keep in contact with them. Of course, they're not going to tell you those stories. Be encouraged. God is sovereign. He's the only one that can save and he loves your child more than you do. Be freed from the shame today. I'd love to pray for you at the end. And then lastly, if you are not a Christian here today, maybe you're like, well, I imagine I'm that lost son in that story. If that is you, you can come home today. There is a welcome here for you today. God is ready to embrace you, to love you, no matter who you are, what you've done. His heart towards you is one of compassion and he wants to embrace you in his arms. You might be in a place where you're not ready to make that final step, but you have a lot of questions. I would also encourage you to do Alpha. It's a fantastic place for those questions. If you've got stuff you're trying to work out, just go to one session. Go to the first one, see how you find it. You don't have to commit to the whole thing, but just give it a go. So as we close, can I invite us all to stand? Thank you. And then I'd like to invite these three groups of people to raise a hand. So if you are someone who has had disappointments in evangelism, maybe a best friend who has rejected faith, who has said no to coming to church, and you've actually felt the whisper of those lies that say, you're not good enough, you're actually not someone who's going to share faith, I would love you to raise a hand and I would invite you to be prayed for and people around them praying for them. Would you pray for disappointments to be lifted off their shoulders so that they can step freely into the adventure of mission again? So if that's you, would you please raise a hand to step into the adventure of mission? And then secondly, if you're a parent here today that's wrestling with the weight of shame, with questions about a child who's wondered, who wants to be reminded of their identity in Christ, that they themselves are a child, that you are a child of God and that God loves your child. Would you please raise your hand? And then lastly, if you are someone who's wanting to respond to that call for the first time, or maybe again, to come home to God, would you please raise your hand? And then if you don't have a hand raised, there's probably someone next to you that does. Could you look around the room and could you lay hands on those people and just bless them? Pray God's blessing over them, freedom over them, freedom from shame and disappointments. God, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you that you bring freedom. I just pray that you flood this place with your love. We just pray, come Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do, Lord. 
bring your healing, bring your hope, bring your peace. Lord, we want to step into the adventure of knowing you, of talking about you, of inviting people into this wonderful home. We love you, Lord.